0: And now, from the dark corners of the internet, where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things that are getting sniffed, and the beer flows steady, it's Paul.com Security Weekly. By Tenable Network Security, the creators of Nessus, the world's best vulnerability scanner. Tenable Security Center extends the power of Nessus through reporting, passive vulnerability scanning, log correlation, and much more. Tenable, unified security model. Core Security Technologies, helping you penetrate your network. Rock out with your SLA out. Listen to this podcast and qualify to receive a 10% discount on Core Impact, the world's best penetration testing tool nt objectives creators of nto spider the most accurate scanner for today's complex and custom web application visit them on the web at www.ntobjectives.com and request a free trial today and finally the sans institute the most trusted source for computer security training certification and research visit sans.org to learn more that's s-a-n-s.org to learn more now, give the intern control of your botnet and bore yourself a frosty beverage. Here's your host. He's like a script kitty of comedy. Someone else writes the jokes. He just delivers them poorly. Paul Asadorian. Hello, everyone, and welcome
1: to this edition of Paul.com Security Weekly. This is episode 321. Yeah, so it's <laughs> good to be here.
0: My headphones sound weird. I don't what? know why that is. No, I think it's just you. It could be just me. I just got a I uh, IM from uh, our uh, executive producer, Mike. Yes. New sponsor, the APT. <laughs> <laughs> Drink.
1: There's <laughs> yeah, been a lot of hilarious things going on surrounding that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's
1: Thursday, February 21st. We want to welcome everyone to Paul.com Security Weekly. We've got a fantastic show for you. This evening, or whenever you happen to be listening to the show with me, of course, is none other than Mr. Larry Pesce. Yay! And we're drinking some good beer. Yeah. My wife got me a um, uh, beer, beer of the, the month. month Club. That's yeah. good stuff. So I got like the the papers that, that tell you about all the different kinds of beer Dude, and stuff. You get, you get the papers? I got the papers. You got the stuff? I got the papers. Um, So Larry and I are drinking Salmon Fly Honey Rye. I won't read the whole thing, but... Maybe during one of the breaks. Who's bold, the brewery? Madison bold, River then. Brewing it's Company. It's a Madison River Brewing Company, which is located in one of the world's hottest travel destinations for fly fishermen um, in Montana.
0: Nice. So
1: fun stuff happening there. It's good. It's good beer. It is. It's good beer. Register for Offensive Countermeasures, the Art of Active Defense in Black Hat Europe, Sands 2013 in Orlando, and Sands Fire, Washington, D.C. The links to register for all of those classes. There's three of them coming up. Whether you're in Europe, whether you're near Orlando, or just
0: want to go to Orlando to see Mickey, or you want to go to Washington, D.C. Or in, if you want to go to Orlando, and do both. Go see Mickey, then go to training. That's right. Or go to training, then see <laughs> Mickey. That's what we're doing. The links to, well, attend the classes, not necessarily see Mickey, are in the show
1: notes. Um, come to B-Sides Rhode Island, a one-day conference on June 15th. Tickets are on sale now. We switched over to WePay.com. So that link is in the show notes so you can go buy tickets. Please go buy your tickets today. Uh, feature presentations are from Josh Wright, Kevin Finister, Katie Rodson, and Mike Murray, Bruce Potter, Joe McRae, Ron Gula, Ben Jackson, Dave Maynard, and the entire Paul.com crew. The Stoey Geek Show. Oh, right after this, it's gonna be awesome. We're going to the Havana Smoke Show, or Havana Cigar Club which is uh, just on the street from here. And we're going to broadcast live. There's a whole event. We're going to have a live audience. It's going to be fun. Do
0: you have your audio on? Yeah, the, I do. I'm I like, was trying to... Because all I hear is... <kahkaha> I'm like... We shouldn't do that ever. I
1: do. I got to I I gotta. gotta mute it. Hold on. I got to talk about something.
0: Okay, I'll talk about something. Hey, I'm still looking for a job. <laughs> uh, no, it's things important. are, the uh, thing. I, I, I am available for hire. I'm looking for full-time employment without relocation. Um willing to travel to a certain point. Yeah, of course, I'm looking down at my computer doing you know, like the total antisocial thing, right? Yeah, I'm working. Yeah, I'm really dedicated. Um, yeah, but no, I'm uh, looking for a job um, and uh, I've been on a bunch of interviews, so things are going well. There's uh, The one thing I will report back that from this job hunt, if you can't find a job in this entry, industry you're doing it wrong um, there are a lot of, <laughs> a lot jobs, of jobs out there a lot of jobs there may not be a lot of uh, entry level stuff but I still would might argue there's probably a lot of entry level stuff too um, No, I would agree the uh, percentage of entry level stuff is much lower yeah much lower than some of the, the mid to senior stuff um, but yeah I'm still looking and uh, willing to pursue uh, bunches of opportunities because uh, you never know um, all the current ones that I'm faced with might not work out so let's go you know, I, I have a lot of jobs here around the house. Um,
1: I don't do rim jobs, sorry. <laughs> 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 no. So we wash the floor with baking soda, and make a long story short, we use too much baking soda, <laughs> so I was, I was doing a lot of mopping the floor, and Chad yep. was in the kitchen, I'm like, I mop the floor, my name is Jose, I mop the floor. <laughs> That's just one of my many jobs
0: around here Actually, in the
1: house. You, you, I'm the you, garbage man, I'm the... You, you,
0: know, you know what your name man, is there? Man. What's that? Manuel. Manuel? Manuel Labor. (laughs) Manuel Labor. Manuel Labor. Oh, boy. All right, let's uh,
1: bring on... (laughs) Excuse me. Let's bring in our next... Our very first special guest who is no stranger to the show or to podcasting or to wearing tight pants. Uh, Adrian Crenshaw, also known as Iron Geek, has worked in the IT industry for the last 15 years. He runs the information security website, IronGeek.com, which specializes in videos and articles that illustrate how to use various pen testing and security tools. He does the the cert chase for a while, but stopped once he had to start paying for the tests himself. He's currently working on a master's in security informatics and is also one of the co-founders of DerbyCon. Welcome, Adrian, to the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, it's nice to actually sit down with you and have a, a casual conversation. I think the times in the past we've brought you on the show, it's been very uh, topical. It's been surrounded on specific projects, maybe. Um, but we're going to kick back and just, you know, kind of ask you how you got your start in information security. Well,
2: I usually started poking around at a local paper mill, trying to figure out what was going on, uh, getting into systems. My brother had an account on the system, so I'd get on there and uh, go to forums and poke around. And uh, it slowly started building up from there. I decided I liked plumbing better than I did electronics at the time. So I've since gone back and done some more electronics. And uh, while I was poking around, I'd do things like, wow, this uh, login system is incredibly easy. I can write this in Power Basic, no, no issues whatsoever. This tells you how long ago this was. I'm talking about Power and Turbo Basic. <laughs> so it was a Nobel login screen. I was like, hmm, well, I can emulate this. So my, my own little uh, password catcher that sits there and goes, oh, you entered the wrong password. Go ahead and into it again. Then takes you to the correct login prompt. Doing things like that, poking around the network. Sometimes I'd like do user list and say, "Huh, this user account exists. Looks like a service account. I wonder if I could log into it." They supposed to have it station restricted in Novell, and they didn't. Like I said, this tells you how long ago this was when I'm talking about Novell. But I always enjoyed like uh, playing with systems, trying to figure out how to get into things I shouldn't. So it kind of uh started from there and uh built up. Then uh sometime in a uh, 2000 uh well actually in the late 90s early 2000s i read a book hacking exposed started playing around with more techniques really enjoyed it i don't think the hacking exposed books right now a lot of times they rehash the same material over and over again and don't update between uh editions but at least at the time it was one of the few books out there it seemed of that variety So that fascinated me i started doing more research i started doing presentations at the local campus uh and then uh got me a sharp source and started posting all sorts of stuff about how to get various uh, Debian based, sorry, arm uh, based Debian distribution tools on it. Oh yeah. I remember that actually. Oh, and also back in the day I started listening to a ton of uh, old hacker podcasts. Like Ben Rev Radio was one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, me too. Yay, me too. Um, so at some point you started um, irongeek.com. Tell us about how that came about. Well, uh,
2: originally I started as part of my uh, campus uh, website, which came to bite me in the ass later on.
0: <laughs> Wait, because <laughs> of the little tagline that you used to use?
2: Oh, what? Uh, lifting dumbbells in the gym, supporting them at work?
0: Yes. Uh yes. No, no one complained about that. No, no. I <laughs>
2: had an issue where I was doing research for a talk. I was going to do a printer security, and I had some previous issues. that uh, I, I didn't wasn't in well with the admins. I put up a chat server on a printer where people could like send messages to the lcd screen
3: oh god and it would show
2: the world what was on there and so people were chatting back and forth across the world or at least across the country you know via this via this well i got put on dig <gasps> at the time i got a lot of traffic so i put up a video of what it was doing to prove it did, did work and took it down well i didn't watch the video as close as i should have it had various cuss words and racial slurs in it <sighs> and next next thing i know i'm hacking network printers i'm getting in all sorts of trouble uh, let see, the HR person is, a, well, like most HR people, not necessarily very knowledgeable, not compared negatively to two people who get paid bored of me that couldn't do what I could do, uh, wouldn't listen to much of what anything I was saying. The uh, guy who's in charge of the IT department, despite having a doctorate, would say silly things like, this is an exact quote. Additionally, Mr. Quinshaw's personal website housed on university resources is a compendium of links to known computer hacker websites, hacker toolkits, and other hacker resources. And this is one of his points he used to take away various network access rights of mine. As well as, in the process of doing this, one of the servers I used for um, showing what was going on, he just hey, let's take that down without ever asking what exactly that server did. So he crippled more university resources in his <laughs> you did. terrible version of incident response than I did. I caused a bunch of network traffic and some people to maybe get offended if they saw some words on the video unintentionally. He actually took down equipment and library resources by doing what he did. Uh, there are some moronic people get put in charge of things, and some people, sometimes incident response can actually cause more damage than the uh, incident people are responding to.
0: So your, your website was, Incident response, you're doing it wrong.
1: Your website was yeah. really just uh, a way for you to share the information that you were uh, research researching.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, but I had largely at that point even moved it away. I, after I started, um, that was kind of a
1: sidetrack, sorry. Uh,
2: but I saw this tool uh, back in the early 2000s called Cam Studio. And I was like, wow, why is anybody making like hack of vids of how to use various tools with this? So I started making little videos about um, how to do this and that with tools like InMap um, and EaterCamp and posting them. And uh, one thing came to another, and eventually I ended up getting a Sharp Zorus because I wanted to play around with uh, mobile hacking. And I got enough traffic coming into my Sharp Zorus post on the university website. I was like, I oh, screwed up. by buy my own domain and host it there instead. And that's how I and got started. And then I slowly started building on from there. Uh, started putting up any kind of article I wanted to write. Uh, started doing more and more videos, uh, videoing the talks I did myself. And eventually... I started recording talks at various conferences I went to. I, like, I think actually Louisville InfoSec 2008 was probably the first con I ever recorded other people's talks at. And uh, actually, I think John Strand was there.
1: I'm yeah, so- I'm yeah. sorry.
3: <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> that was the 2008 one. Yeah. Um, that's the one yeah, I wasn't. I, started... I wasn't at that one. I, Adrian, yeah, yeah, but, I, I wanna, Adrian, I want to. Adrian, I want to go back to um, the printer stuff because oh, that's. Yeah. That's when you went to someone who was relatively unknown to me to being my hero overnight. Because I was looking okay. into uh, I was probably doing a whole bunch of uh, like Nmap Nessus scans of the network, you know, writing custom scripts to You
2: wasted a lot of paper, didn't you?
1: I did. I did. And then I so I ended up writing some of my own stuff and researching the vulnerabilities and your site would always come back as uh, a resource and I read through all of your articles on printer hacking probably two or three times over. Um and it was very inspirational to me to try and address the printer security issue at the time. So how has the vulnerabilities that we were playing with you know, way back in, in 2004, 5678, uh, five, probably, how have those changed from today?
2: As far as I can tell, uh, not at all. I think I've seen a few places where they've started enabling at least self-signed soots, SSH, uh, for you know, a- accessing the... Uh, admin panel, but then most people don't change the password on the admin panel on the printer anyway. So, And also, even those files those we were looking at back in the uh, mid-2000s, a lot of those printers are still out there because yeah. if a printer is still printing, people ain't replacing it. Yep. Uh, I think my buddy, uh, Jeremy Drew, the guy who's in charge of uh, Matilda Day right now, uh, he, he was testing out a newer printer, and some of the same things would be working on it. So as far as I can tell, they wouldn't really have upgraded a whole lot. I mean, there's some new automated tools like a Bill Hyland put out one card. I think it's Praetor um, that will suck off various information. That didn't sound right. Suck down various information from <laughs> printers. Uh, uh, there. Apparently, some types of printers have different uh, tools on them. Um, that they need to be sucked down. Uh, they require domain access, and they'll actually have the password embedded in the printer. Um, he's also found a way of replacing uh, the particular version of evil, I think Linux or uh, BSD on certain printers with your own image and doing all sorts of other research like that. I've been trying to figure out a good way of automating the the download of uh, stored documents off of Savin printers.
3: Unfortunately, Uh I
2: haven't found a good automated way of doing it. Regular spiders don't work. It's all JavaScript-based. And also, they're incredibly... um, They're not exactly robust. Printers are pretty non-robust. They follow pretty easy. And I've screwed up a bunch of the document statements on uh, all sorts of weak old Savin's trying to write my own script for sucking those down.
0: I hate it when that happens.
1: So, are, are still a lot of the problems, uh, Adrian, uh, based on PJL, the the uh, port 9100 Jet Direct port? Well, the only real
2: fun I ever had of that was, uh, there was some storage things, which I haven't looked into. You could see documents using PJL commands. Yeah. Uh, a lot of stuff you know, I had fun with was just, you know, the tri- silly trivial uh, changes in the for people.
1: Yeah. And you said you created a, a chat server based on changing the uh, LCD on the printer? Yeah, we had that and a webcam. Uh, and that's how people would chat back and forth. Yeah, I remember now. Yes, 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 yes. That's pretty cool. Um, so what were you looking into after the printer stuff? Do you remember what was... Because uh, you did the printer stuff for a while and uh, greatly appreciative of that. What, was, uh, what came next?
3: Wasn't it RDP? Oh, I- was that
1: RDP? RDP. I
2: made, I made all sorts of little scripts for my own use that I put out on my website that's useful for people. Like, um, uh, Kane has this great functionality for older versions of RDP, the man in the middle of it, and be able to get all the keystrokes out. But unfortunately, it puts them in a format where you see the keystroke and a bunch of information about it. You see a keystroke, a bunch of information about it, and you couldn't really parse it out for passwords and so forth. So I wrote a quick tool in Autorit that parses them and throws out a nice uh, log for you. Uh, I also started messing around with uh, bootable CDs of various types, Windows-based ones, so you can run various Windows tools from bootable CDs. So I was basically taking other people's work, giving them credit, of course, and trying to write better documentation. There's there's a lot Uh, of people out there who are much better coders than I am, but a lot of good coders do not necessarily know how to write a document that would help other people learn how to use their tool. Awesome. I'm trying to think of all the other things. Our odds and ends I've been doing over the years. Um phew, the Tensi project was a lot of fun. Yeah, tell the, us a uh, little
0: a little more about that. That was uh that was fucked, right?
2: PHO yeah, head USB keyboard dongle. Yes. The the origin of that is I gave a, a talk on uh skiddy baiting at um fireside's ShmooCon 2010. That was the one, th- that was the drunkest I've ever been in my life was at that particular <laughs> conference,
1: and Larry can attest to it.
0: <laughs> yes, yes Wait, I can. Wait, drunker than you were a- that time at ShmooCon? I have video. No, that
1: was the time at ShmooCon. Oh, that was the time at ShmooCon. Yes. This one time at ShmooCon. Um,
2: what happened? ShmooCon nice. unfortunately doesn't stay there. I showed up with a bottle of Applejack, Nick showed up with a bottle of short we traded, and that's about the last thing I remember that night. There was a bottle anyway, of
0: Jim Beam floating around that night, too. More likely. And I think that was probably also the drunkest day I've also been because that was the first year that Darren went and I handed him 20 bucks and said, go get me something to drink and get yourself something too. And he came back with Long Island iced teas. Oh yeah. And he did that oh. more than once. Oof. Like I'd three imagine, or four times. You, you How many 20 bucks in DC for drinks at a hotel? I'd have to imagine you wouldn't be able to get too many. Yeah. I don't remember how much money I, uh, whatever. I gave him money and said, go get drinks. So well, I see pictures and video.
4: I, I, I... I, I think I can put them on. Let me see let's, if I can find it. Let's get that. All right, all right, that's enough. Okay. okay. Yep. Anyway, earlier that <laughs> night, on. I was giving my uh, fire right. talk, and then I was given a gift
2: by uh, the people who were running it. No, I think Greg's was the going to hand it to me. This little Phantom uh, Keystroker is what it was called. It did, like, gags, like turning caps lock on and off and messing with people in various ways. So I was like, yeah. wow, this, this is cool. If I could program this, this would be a way of getting around the whole U3 issue. I had to see um, Darren from Hack 5 that I mentioned to him, and he said something about, oh, yeah, me and Robin have a project kind of going on like that. And we talked a little bit back and forth and I was wait, I was hoping to get some hardware soon, but I got impatient. I found something, um, Oh, into the saying I've been drunker. No, I don't know. I have, if I have, anyway, I started thinking, what if I could program these things? So I started looking around for hardware and, uh, another, a different Paul enti- entirely, uh, has designed a piece of hardware called a Tensy, which essentially you can be programmed using either straight C, I think assembly and, uh, the Arduino environment that will send keystrokes, act as a USB head. So I started messing around with various techniques of using that as an attack device and publishing that information. And people seem to uh, dig that a whole lot. Um, and then I've, oh, bunch of other little projects I've done for school since then. Like I was trying to mess around with homoglyph attacks on browsers before I realized that pretty much that problem has largely been fixed. But hopefully I can play around with that a little bit more and. Uh, Find other ways of impersonating people, like I was um, on some forms once impersonating people's login names by using Unicode characters to be able to log in as an account that looks like them, but it's not.
1: Oh, Adrian. um, And then you started uh, recording videos. You touched on that briefly already. So, uh, can you just take us briefly through the process? I mean, try not to go into all the gritty details. I know you do a talk on this, but how you actually record and then publish those videos of all the conferences because it's astonishing the way you're able to do that. All right. Well,
2: I originally started out just um, uh, filming one sc- one camera screen in person. Uh, eventually, I started... Um, well, I think I started bitching at Skydog about getting certain videos out faster. And he's like, here, you do it. And he hands me the DVDs, so I rip them all and post them. Next time, I'm at, when it's conferences, I'm actually sitting there ripping DVDs at the same time. That's a pain, and you don't get the kind of quality you want. So I uh, started looking around, and I found out, but this just uh, a scripting language called AVI Synth, which allows you to composite mm. videos. So I started writing scripts, and uh, at a couple of talks I did, and eventually at uh, SkyDog's AutoZone, we used his video rig and used my scripts to be able to do the whole picture-in-a-picture, kind of like they do at DEF CON, but dirt cheap. Huh. And over time, that system's uh, gotten better and better, and I have a slightly older video on how to do this at, um, I think it was AutoZone 2011. But nowadays, I use this uh, thing from Elgato, this HDMI capture rig, I have a VGA to HDMI adapter. I use that for capturing the slides. I have a camera and high desk camcorder that I put on the person. And uh, anymore since Hackathon, since I've been um, putting up a, right, I put up something on the screen so I can get a sync signal, like tell them move slide forward, move slide back. But that it was always so hit and miss. So now I start using this um, clock that I put up on the screen. I fix my camera at the screen. I start recording the screen also. And I have this little clock at the bottom that's running down the number of 25ths of a second since midnight. So I can cut the videos exactly by just editing my script a little bit, put the person's name in it, and render it out using uh, AVI Sense. Mostly I use AVI, uh, AVI Sense and um, Virtual Dub. The main reason I use Virtual Dub, it's, it's one of the most stable video tools out there. It would be nice to output more formats, but I, I don't know how much you mess with video tools, but uh, they'll crash at the, at the drop of a hat.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yes, they're very they finicky.
2: And then I start uh, uploading to YouTube and also archive.org, which reminds me I still need to get the uh, ShmooCon Firesides up for on archive.org. I haven't done that yet. I'm going to have to go by the paper mill to get some more bandwidth to do it.
1: But, uh, <laughs> you um, you run on the uh, on a Windows platform to do all this, right?
2: Yeah, that's all Windows platform for that. I haven't messed around enough with the video tools on the uh, Linux platform. There was, um, there was a tool called Composite Live. I'm trying to think of what it was called now. But it was written in Java. And it was too slow for me to do this stuff yep. that I want to do and the quality I want to do it. So I'm still com- uh, p- compositing it after the talk's over. Nice. 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 And you,
0: Adrian, you are incredibly fast on getting the videos recorded and posted.
2: Well, I try to do some prep work ahead of time. Like um, to get the website up, I usually copy various parts of. Um, well, the person's name and all that. I'll pre-generate photos for the videos to have the scripts sitting there ready to go. So I just have to cut copy and paste and things. So I try to do a lot of pre-work. And then during the time, you see me with an earbud in, thinking video in the uh, back of the hall.
3: Nice. That's
2: awesome. I try to make it faster by doing multi-threading, but um, AVI Sense multi-threading capability is uh, not exactly stable.
1: So now, uh, are, people are inviting you to conferences just to do the video.
2: I've got a few invites. Um, most of the ones I've been doing it. I've been, doing, I've been uh, going to as a attendee or a speaker for a while. So there's only a few I've been invited to solely because I could record. Uh, actually, not if there Has been any of those? those ones, I've been I've spoken also. Uh, I think the first thing that's really happened, I've been not a con last year. So I do get people asking me about it and asking me if I charge. And my thing is, just get me a room, get me a way of getting it cheap. If I post the videos on my website, I'm fine. It's content. And I do make a little money off of it because of um, assets revenue. I'll put all later on. for so people who don't see any of that, just the videos down to archive.org and save them to the hard drive
1: excellent excellent yeah we're looking to uh hopefully if the budget allows bring adrian down to besides rhode island to uh to do the talks now too so if i can
2: clear up my boss i'm cool
1: yeah, yeah absolutely you'll be hearing more from us on that i promise um let's see so uh what led to so you were one of the founders of DerbyCon. is that correct yep so what led to that idea
2: um yeah <laughs> That was the night of wine and chicken, I think. Oh, no, 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 (laughs) no. That was was a different night. There was the wine and chicken. But I I think I was also, um, maybe at that night where I didn't come out to uh, hang out with uh, Martin and Dave. Uh, But what what happened was we ended up wanting to do this Metasploit class. I'd been teaching classes for the local ISSA for a bit. These free classes we put on, it'd be uh, hours, five hours long. And I wanted to do one on Metasploit, but I didn't have all the background I needed for that. Well, I'd recently got to know Dave after he came to uh, the Louisville InfoSec 2009 and uh, him and his team, which included Martin and a few other people, decimated my uh, Capture the Flag event. Yeah, I remember including, that. Including decimating my own laptop before Dave actually looked up the uh, the scope. Dope! I, 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 I didn't have my firewall up and I had a vulnerability that didn't have a patch for it yet. I think that was the SMB2 vulnerability from a few years ago.
1: I remember that. I was there when Dave did that.
2: Yeah, he came over and apologized. It was adorable.
1: Yeah, he, anyway, you know, it was hogs all around. I, I, it was good. I wanted to put on this Metasploit
2: class. I was like, well, who am I going to invite? Well, Dave and Martin are obvious ones. I knew a couple of other people like Ken and Elliot would be interested. So we ended up putting together this class. But the person, someone was supposed to be from actually watching the email uh, address where people registered. No one was watching it. So all of a sudden, we had like 70 freaking people show up for this uh, charity class we put on <laughs> for uh, Hackers for Charity. Well, we started thinking, I'm not sure who said it first, it may have been uh, Martin and Dave the previous night when they were out to dinner, if we can get this many people in Louisville for this little one-day class, can we put on a -a hackathon? And so we wanted to do uh, DerbyCon 2010, couldn't get space that fast, but we started putting things together and ended up doing DerbyCon 2011, which was the first one, and it came off, I think, incredibly well. Luckily, Dave knows everybody. Uh... Martin has a lot of experience as far as uh, putting on uh, large productions. I think he used to work in various, uh, like, sound engineering or used to work for, like, um, concert promoters. I'm not sure what his background is, but it's in, it is, does involve reading stages and so forth. But Nick is uh, knows a lot of people also, and is our security guy, and he knows a lot of people who have worked at other conferences. We get a lot of goons from DEF CON and uh, workers from ShmooCon who also come and act as jockeys for us. And of course, Aaron's there to keep us all organized. We've got a lot of people who, while this might be their first con of their own, they've worked at other cons, and we bring in a lot of uh, staff from other cons to help out. So I think that's one of the reasons it came off so good these last two years.
1: That's great. Yeah, we all definitely look forward to DerbyCon every year. So far, I have
4: as a rule, that's the only con I'm going in a year for sure. Any other con, uh, I have to check. Bro, yeah, I agree with that. Call. To. I'm in the same boat. Speaking Both. of which, did
0: you introduce Carlos when we first started? I don't think so. Nope. Jesus.
1: Jeez. You better I'm do. We're
0: used to it.
4: Paul <laughs> hates me. I, everybody uh, knows Steve
1: Steve's hatred for you, which stemmed from Dave's hatred for you, has now stemmed
0: into yeah. my hatred Carlos, for you. Carlos. You're just a second-class citizen, my That's friend. That's right. Well,
4: Carlos,
0: I love you. I know. <laughs> I love you too. Everyone, Carlos.
1: let's introduce Carlos Perez from Sunny Puerto Rico. See, what we'll do call is we'll just edit that and we'll put it at the front of the podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The the beauty of non-linear audio editing. Oh, hell. Uh, Oh, I got to say this until I'm on.
2: Yay, DerbyCon!
3: Since
2: ISD Podcast isn't around to do it anymore. Yay, DerbyCon! Yay, DerbyCon.
1: All right, uh, Adrian, five questions with Paul.com. Oh, wait, no, wait. Who
0: Who gives more awkward hugs, Jason Street or Dave Kennedy?
1: Dave more
2: often, Jason more awkward. But then again, I see Dave
1: more. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Dave's hugs are pretty awkward, though. Yeah, I, his finger was in my
0: bum hole. That's yeah, That's how awkward yeah, it's it a gets. More
2: awkward when you're sitting down and Jason decides to hug you while you're
1: standing up. Yeah, <laughs> that adds I like to the a, awkwardness. Something
0: like a faceful cock. I
1: mean, <laughs> I mean, uh... all right. Adrian, five questions with paul dot com. You ready?
3: Okay.
1: These are just five random questions. You ready? Okay, it doesn't matter because here oh, we go. Not, but I'm gore- it doesn't matter, so go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Question one. If you were a serial killer,
3: what would your weapon of choice be? Tomahawk. Three words to describe yourself. Okay, what? one what? word to describe yourself. <laughs> uh, 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 depressive, hairy, and
1: pecs. I don't know. <laughs> if, you, if you had to write a book about yourself, what would the title be?
2: Death to All Those Who oppose Me? Nice.
1: Stranded on a desert island, which tablet would you take with you if you could only choose one, iPad, Android, or the Surface? Uh, Android. In a popular game, a vast Grabby Grabby, would you prefer to go first or second?
2: Apparently, if I get drunk at cons, I go first, so I, suppose I must be doing it
1: first. You're doing it right. I can can attest to that. You're you're doing it right. Adrian, thank you very much for appearing on Paul.com. We hope to have you back sometime soon to talk about all the great stuff that you're always researching. And, of course, we'll see you at DerbyCon. And hopefully, besides Rhode Island, if all works out. Thanks much, guys. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Adrian. Adrian. Bye-bye. With that, we'll take a short break. Come back and (laughs) talk about the stories for this week. Yes, when you got on the out. And then hopefully get our last person on for an interview. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. And we're back with a few stories and announcements and stuff. Yeah. Let's see. All of our technical segments and interviews have been uh, cataloged and categorized, rather, inside of the wiki. Okay. So if you go to paul.com.com forward slash wiki, it is a gigantic library of every technical segment we've ever done listed on a page. And then interviews we've done, this on on page. And we've got plugins working so that the videos for every show are embedded in the wiki. So our wiki is really the representation of everything, audio, video, and show notes that happens for each episode. It's searchable. It's categorized. There's tags uh, for everything. So go to the Paul.com wiki. It's a great resource for everyone. Uh, Larry's teaching sand 617 over and coming to a city. Oh, all over. He's coming all over to a city near you in 2013 to get ready for that.
0: And uh, around that um, next Thursday, the February 27th, I'll be uh, presenting a webcast entitled How Attackers Exploit Modern Secure Wireless Networks um, through SANS. So uh, there's a link in the show notes there. Um, And also it is not too late to sign up for my class 617 in Orlando this March, uh, somewhere around the 18th to the 15th. So that is when the conference happens, the 18th to the 15th. So come sign up. I want to have more people come.
1: On your face. Wait. Um, what? That's creepy. Uh, in any uh, case. So now you
0: had another announcement. Uh, it wasn't an announcement. It was more of a story about Derby. Or, well, uh, you're Shmucon. looking for a job. Oh, yeah, I'm looking for a job. We already announced that in the beginning. That oh, did was, we? I'm sorry. That was okay. when you said, talk about something. I'm busy. i got to uh, do something. <laughs> okay. Well, Larry's looking for a job. But then you had a story. Yes. Okay. So, uh, you know, I got to. Uh, I had the awesome opportunity at ShmooCon to go uh, do something fun. Um, a couple of the nights while we were there, to do uh, so much. while I was there. And it, it was a weird thing for me at ShmooCon because I was flying solo. I was the only guy from Paul.com there. Jack wasn't there. Oh, Jack was there, but you know, Jack does his Jack own is, thing, and he's he's very he's a man about the town. He's mysterious. He is. He yeah, is. I'm just
1: going to adjust your microphone. I want everyone that's to hear what, your story. That's what she said. Um,
0: so, uh, so yeah, uh, you know, better. it's like I get you know get done with you know doing the volunteer work, and I'm like, all right, time for dinner. Hello, anyone for dinner? <laughs> so uh, you know, me being the bashful guy that I am, I got done uh, the second. Saturday night, and uh, the Hackers for Charity folks were all still over there. Johnny Long and and uh, Sam and a you know, whole crew were were still there behind the back booth. And uh, I said, hey, have you guys gone to dinner yet? No. You guys going to dinner? Yep. You mind if I join you? Nope. So they're all hanging around, I'm hanging around with them, tequila, beer at the the Hackers for Charity booth, you know. Then we go to dinner. It's a little Irish place we had been to the night before up the street. And we're walking up the street, and Johnny stops and goes, that's the hotel. And we're all like, what, Johnny, what are you talking about? Come with me. We go inside, and you walk into the front lobby of the hotel, and there's security there. And he starts doing this whole oh, yeah, I'm with Winter something or other, and, you know, I, I got to go, you know, my friends are here, and they're supposed to have badges for me. Um, you know, i am trying to get in touch with them. I can't. Can we all go in and go get them and get our badges? And, um, well, so sure enough, the security guards say, no, I'm sorry. The event security comes out. Um, that was hotel security. event- security comes out and starts talking with Johnny. He's like, yeah, no, I'm trying to get in. I'm with these folks the organizers of the con. And you guys have no idea what's going on. We have no idea what's going on. And uh, so, and then, uh, you know, the, the con security head security guy comes out. And it's like, yeah, no, I, you know, I'm sorry. I can't let you guys in. You know, we're working with the hotel. They really are trying to renegotiate the contract because they were going to really good deal. You probably can't reach them because AT&T service sucks here. Um, and if they are on AT&T, you're probably not getting through to them oh yeah yeah no i understand yeah that sucks about at&t the, the, i think they're on at&t and uh you know then the security guy says yeah no we we've got the entire hotel for this one function It's completely sold out um and uh you know tickets are sold out and uh you know closed hotel private function for the entire hotel and i'm thinking man these guys are baller they get the whole damn hotel so, he's like, alright, well, well, let's go to dinner and uh, then maybe we can get in touch with him at dinner or maybe we catch him on Facebook or something. Who, who knows? So, we'll go to dinner and we'll come back and see if we can get a hold of him. We walk out and we're like, Johnny, what is that? He says, it's a BDSM conference. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we get to dinner and uh, we've all had a little to drink at that point and uh, at which point we sit down at the, in the, the bar area of the Irish pub and Johnny does the Irish car bombs all around. <laughs> <laughs> so dinner, multiple rounds of Irish car bombs, yeah. more beer. Johnny's, Back to the BDSM it, conference. <laughs> yeah. No, Johnny's like, that's our mark. We've got to do that. We've got to. So I won't spill Johnny's story about how Johnny got into the BDSM conference, <laughs> but at the end Doesn't of dinner, it involve assless chaps. It does not. Cause, <sighs> but that would have been awesome. So here I am at dinner, with like one of my all time heroes, like goading is on to do this physical pen test of this BDSM conference. Like, (laughs) like, Oh, and Johnny's like, so we're all at dinner, like doing recon on the building with Google maps and going through the conference, like things to try to figure out what our pretext is. And, I'm like, oh, that'll be easy. I'm the play piercing guy. And the play piercing (laughs) workshop was given by a woman. So that didn't work out so well. Um, But two lines down from that was the uh, CBT uh, workshop. Mm -hmm. You know what CBT is? It's cock and ball torture. (laughs) (laughs) So I was going to be the cock and ball torture guy. (laughs) (laughs) So we had our pretexts and and all this type of stuff. (laughs) And uh, Johnny's like, all right, I'm going for it you guys give me 10 minutes, Put 10 minutes on the clock right now. And uh, if I'm not back here in 10 minutes, I'm in. So it goes and we're all sitting there at the table. Like he's going to do it. <laughs> so seven minutes in, we decided to walk down there and see if we can get in. And uh, Sam Kinnich and I uh, are walking around the building, pulling on doors, nothing, nothing doing employee entrance is locked. So we walk around the front and we're just standing there and Johnny's sitting out in front of the hotel, standing out in front of the hotel, talking with attendees. Like, you know, doing the smoking and joking thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, next thing we're you know, we duck back around the corner and we're talking. And next thing we know, Johnny's gone. Oh, I won't tell what happened with Johnny. But uh, so oh! no, we, we have to let Johnny tell his part. But oh! Sam, Sam and I have epic portion of the story. So we're standing around, you know, we're, we're making it look like we're talking uh, uh, on the phone and texting and stuff. And we're freezing. And Sam looks down. And there's a broken wristband on the floor, on the ground outside on the sidewalk. Uh-oh. Picks it up and starts, it's broken. So he tucks it into his uh, bracelet yeah. he's wearing. Yeah. And uh, so we uh, walk over into the, uh, the hotel lobby right before security, move over to the side, make it look like we're texting on our phone, trying to call people because we'd already been there once yeah. trying to get in touch with the folks that have our badges and stuff. Um, and Sam looks over and down and there's a set of stairs down just past security. Mm-hmm. And there's a set of doors into the bar, which the other end of the bar opens behind security. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sam walks down the stairs, pulls on the door, and it opens. He walks into the bar and closes the door behind him. Wait for security to turn around, go down the stairs, open the bar, in. So I'm like, damn it, I gotta pee. So we go into the bathroom, take a leak at the bar, uh, go up to the bar. Sam orders some drinks. I pay. Chummy, chummy. We're at a BDSM conference, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I suppose as a couple. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, so we grab some beers, and then we, you know, we walk down, see if we can see Johnny. We don't see him. Um, so we go out into the lobby, which there's all sorts of craziness going around in the lobby.
1: That's what we want to hear about. That's what everyone wants to hear uh, about. Right I know.
0: Sit down uh, in the lobby, and uh, you know, we're just watching the sights go by, drinking beer you know watching the sights go by and um and Johnny walks by in assless chaps and nipple clamps no we actually <laughs> we actually never saw Johnny oh. but goes. so we're sitting in this corner of the the sofa you know the corner which uh, uh Sam on one side myself on the other so we're you know 90 degrees opposing and Sam's leaning forward drinking his beer and he's looking nervous and then one of the hotel security uh st- hotel security staff was looking at us like these guys don't belong here. And Sam's like, uh, we got one at, uh, at 12 o'clock. This could be trouble. We might be out of here pretty soon. And I'm like, Sam, just relax. Pretend like you're supposed to be here. Yeah. Pretend like you're supposed to be here. And he's just sitting there. And and I said, Sam, no lean back in the sofa and relax. And he's still sitting there. I'm like, no, Sam, lean back. So he leans so back then in he the has sofa. his head in your lap. No, so he, kind leans, of so, so he leans back in the, in the sofa. And as soon as he does that, I put my feet up in his lap <laughs> <laughs> and the security guard looks again and goes, Oh, and then walks away. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, we, uh, we spend uh, a beer's worth at the BDSM conference, looking at all the shenanigans, um, watching some gentleman being uh, hauled around by a leash, leash attached nice. to a various, to an appendage. Um, that it was below the waist Nice. Um, lots of breasts lots of crazy costumes including furries and rubber and leather and it was interesting nice. it was interesting and that we didn't take any pictures out of respect for those yeah. in, in attendance yeah. um, and uh, then we got up and got up and left so I had on my uh, sweatshirt with the skulls and, and all that yeah. type of stuff so Sam attempted to go back later with someone else mm-hmm. and that someone else was wearing a t-shirt And I said, you're going to freeze your ass off. Take my sweatshirt. Mm -hmm. So they get back and, you know, the whole pretext about trying to get in. And uh, sure enough, they were looking for someone wearing that exact sweatshirt because they didn't. (laughs) 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 But, uh, yeah, so we physical pen tested a BDSM conference. That doesn't sound right, does it? It does not. No. At all. I I will say that um, Johnny got in and he was horrified. He was horrified? He was horrified. Johnny did not take the same frontal approach that we did. Oh, so he came in through the back door
1: of the yes, BDSM he did. conference. Yes, I he can did. see how that might be interesting. Yes. Uh, he was horrified. <laughs> wow. That concludes this segment of physical pen testing, a BDSM conference.
4: I'm so happy. It didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, the rest of it was fine, but that was just hilarious.
1: So, we've got eight minutes to talk about stories. Why don't you do your tech segment? Because my tech segment's more than eight minutes. Oh, okay. I didn't want to, I didn't want to
0: jip my tech segment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. I understand. So, let's, uh, let's hit one story. Let's hit some stories. We could do the one that we've got Joey will
1: join. Yep. Maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) Well, you know what? More Wi-Fi devices have security holes.
0: I was gonna, I was gonna say, let's do the one, the one that we've both got on there. Okay, let's do it. That Which will cause that? us to drink. All right, cyber APT. Yes, that would be um, Twitter's response your, to Burger King. No, hacking. no, your story number two. Um, my story oh. number two. Uh,
1: the title of this one always sets me off when it's titled this way. Attribution delivers questionable security value. Mm. So this is all about the whole
0: APT1 thing from Mandian, right?
1: Uh, a lot of it covers the APT1 one. thing from Mandian.
0: Yes. Which we haven't really talked about. Right, because show. it only came out this week. Yeah, it did. It did. So there's a reason why we haven't talked about it. We haven't had a podcast.
1: Yeah, so. I think, Um, I don't know. So I, I I thought it was a good report. I, uh, I think the most hilarious thing that comes out of it are the Twitter accounts that are pretending to be part of the APT1. And there's AP... The joke that APT0 cell is based in the U.S. And then Ugh. there's APT1 and APT2. And then they all have Twitter accounts. And they're all making like funny comments on Twitter.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. So. That's hilarious. But this one uh, said... Uh, a quote from the article... And at the end of the day, so what? The Chinese did it. He says, someone has exfiltrated data for four months and you know who it is. How does that help you? It's only academically interesting that you can attribute attacks to China. Or someone pretending to have originated the attacks from yeah, China.
0: Yeah, uh, and the, the thing is... Uh, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, I said it's just not about knowing where the attacks come from. It's more than that. It's about knowing a little bit about your attacker. Yeah. Knowing they are associated with a specific group or from a certain country is just one small piece. What you have to be after is a full profile. Know who they are. What motivates them? How do they do recon? How do they gain a foothold? And what is their end game? This stuff helps you prioritize both your short and long-term security measures. It's a constant process. You're always trying to figure out how your attackers are are, are attacking you. Um, We got hacked by the Chinese might help your PR, right? Yeah. Because if you own a big company, I own a big company, and you go, I got hacked by that Chinese. I go, I got hacked by the Chinese, too. Look, we're all in the same boat. It's not our fault. And that kind of shit happens, right? You're CEO of a big company. I'm CEO of a big company. We play golf together and be like, dude, I got hacked like, Dude, I totally got hacked, too. We could make this better, but both just come in and say we got hacked by the Chinese. Yeah, um So yep. knowing the details helps you evolve your security strategy. It may not always be about you. Knowing how others attacked is helpful, too, and that's why the
0: Mandiant Report is useful. Yep. That, the, some other things that I think about the Mandiant Report being useful is that maybe some businesses are going to consider how they do business in China, realizing that potentially they're a threat. Um, and I think that Mandiant did a really good job. You, you mentioned that you know whether they were in China or people purporting to be in China. I, yeah, I I'm think, not convinced of that. I, I think Mandiant wouldn't have released the report that says that if they did not have a smoking gun. Now, how much of that from their customers can they not say? I I wouldn't. I don't think Mandiant would have done it given all the heat they're going to take from f- the the Chinese or otherwise if they did not have a smoking gun. Mm-hmm. Just, just my thought. So yeah, and some of the stuff that they were saying that, um, it's yeah that I saw that we was not coincidental was that you know you talk about the quote hacking back and the being able to determine the types of machines that uh, were they were coming from and they were yeah. all Chinese language packs and based in China and that now granted are they hacked machines and someone else is under their control, um. I, I think they probably had the smoking gun or they wouldn't have said it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause quite honestly, if they, if it, it didn't have the smoking gun and they said it, China was going to attack them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, true, true, I, so, so I, so I think that really took some really big brass balls to come out and say that because I think it's been going on and people have been saying it and that, um, we've been saying it for years. Um, and then finally somebody does. Beware of that cyber APT from China. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. And the Twitter accounts are just hilarious. hilarious yes. And Which is so, awesome. But they're so obviously like someone in our field that oh, created yeah. those accounts. Oh, you, yeah. You, just, you read the first few tweets and you're like, yep, that's yep. someone yep. like one of us. <laughs> you know, yep. Or not, not like one not of me, us. But it's not me. It's not
0: me. But yeah. Yeah. So the other one that I thought was interesting out of this whole thing, it's only been a couple of days since the report's been out. Um... But someone has decided that um, they'd uh, exploit the situation and take the the uh, PDF and distribute it via email with exploits I built saw that. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And send those to people. Um, some of them I even heard spoofed Richard Baitlick as the source, as the sender. Yeah. Uh, and Richard Baitlick is at Mandia. Yeah. So. We tried
1: to get Richard on the show. Uh, unfortunately, he had a scheduling conflict today. We, we came close. We were very close to uh, getting on the show. Uh, maybe we'll try and get him on uh, next that'd week. That'd be awesome. <clears throat> that'd be awesome. So more Wi-Fi devices have security holes. Um, Michael Messner, I think that's his name, Michael Messner, yep. uh, had reported the flaws to all the affected vendors that all these Wi-Fi devices Larry had. Uh, no way. Yeah, exactly. So, however, after reporting to the vendors, he says... That he has either received messages with no response at all, TP Link, or that manufacturers don't intend to provide updates, Edimax and RaidSonic, or have released updates without providing any details about what has been fixed, Netgear. Um, this is just bad all around. I mean, first some the vendors didn't even respond. I mean, that goes to show you where they put security on their priority list. It makes me wonder how many more vulnerabilities we can find. In vendors such as TP-Link. All of them? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't even know what's worse. Not responding or responding saying, you're not going to fix the vulnerability. That's just completely shameful. The final kicker are the vendors that silently fix stuff. They hate security in their own way, and it's frustrating. There are people in the community that want to help embedded security. The vendors don't want to hear it. I have not let go of this problem, and I don't really know what to do to solve it. Do we offer one thing... Do we offer, like, free security training to the, you know what I mean, to people? They don't. Like, I'm at that point, but you, you, they don't care. Yeah, how do you bring someone to the attend, table that doesn't nobody care? Nobody attends free
0: training anyway. Yeah, they do. But not the people that don't care. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's the people that probably already care that would take the free training. Yeah. Mike, Dave, uh, Mike Dews from Google Plus says, I like free training. Like to say hi to everyone on uh, on Google Plus. We've got our, some of our regulars in there. We've got Matthew. Um, we've got Paul. We've got Stephen all the way in the UK. He's in his jammies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've got Travis. Uh, yes. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us via Google Plus. Uh, if you friend me on Google Plus, you um, can get notifications. I make the Hangout public. So, it's just a matter of finding the hangout on um, Thursday nights, which isn't always so easy. You, you know, basically you, you, have to you, visit my Google Plus page. Yeah, you go to your Google Plus You don't Plus have page. to friend me on Google Plus. If you go to my Google Plus page, uh, maybe we need to make that more uh, accessible. Yes. Uh, VMware promises better security. Lies, so lies. They, lies. they I did mean, a poll and they asked their user base do you want us to release patches on a regular basis? And do you want you know, things like more information about vulnerabilities? And, They were like, yeah, um, I want full details of the vulnerability so I can make intelligent decisions about patching and protection. I want patches to come out when the vendor has fully tested them, not on a predefined schedule. With these two pieces of information, I can develop my own patching strategy. Without them, I'm left in the dark to analyze risk and someone else is defining Mm. how I defend my network. It's ridiculous that we even have to have these patching cycles and keep information from stakeholders. It's okay for a vendor to release a patch and you not to apply
0: the fix. Although some would yeah, argue... But, but you need to have all the information about the risk and the exploit right, to make an informed risk decision but based no, on your own not-some To some play devil's
1: advocate, though, some people will say, well, if we release information about the vulnerability and we release the patch as soon as it comes out, people may not be able to apply it or digest all this information But the attackers will see this information and and develop exploits more quickly is the devil's advocate.
0: Hence why you need to have a better ability to create informed risk decision. You know that going in. Right. Right. If it's something that you're really worried about becoming compromised, you'll patch it
1: quick. Yeah. I don't think that, see, but I don't know. Withholding it from general public consumption, it does kind of help not become exploited. So I mean there is kind of a valid argument yeah, there my, is. my there counterpoint.
0: Is. So um there is a point to your counterpoint. There is a point to my counterpoint. Unknown yes. person is calling on Skype. Good eye, Larry. Good eye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like,
3: what's that flashing over there? Hello. Hi, this is Joey.
1: Hi, Joey. How are you? This is Paul. Hey, Paul, doing very well, thanks. So uh Joey Peliquin, right? Did I say that right? That's correct, yeah. Excellent, excellent. It's nice to have you on the show. Um, we're just in the middle of talking about some stories. Uh, that we're a little off on timing here. We've got 28 minutes to do your interview. So. Okay. <laughs> are you ready? Yeah, ready when you are. Excellent. So Joey's the currently the VP of product development at a mobile security startup. He's most recently served as an architect on F5 Network's global security architects team where he focused on client and mobile security, application security, and authentication and access technologies. Prior to F Five, he launched Fishnet Security's mobile security practice. So you've been in the mobile space for quite some time. Um, tell us about some of your findings on some of the latest versions of Android OS with respect to security.
5: Sure. So uh, you know, it's it's really ironic that uh, that we have a keychain now for Android, um, which you know, in my opinion, should have been delivered. Much earlier, much sooner than it actually was, because the keychain is actually uh, very effective on iOS. It's one of the things that makes the security model so good. Is that
3: the similar?
5: Why
1: is that similar to the uh, the keychain that they implement in the regular operating system? Uh, it's similar, yes. Okay, and, yeah, and that's 30%. just where they and that's just where they're storing credentials in iOS, right?
5: Uh, you can store lots of stuff in there. We find uh, OAuth tokens in there. We yep. find certificates for Wi-Fi networks, for 8021X networks. For uh, There'll be login creds that are stored in there. Mm-hmm. Virtually anything that is uh, sensitive in nature and certainly having to do with authentication or authorization, uh, the keychain is the perfect place to store that stuff. Uh, obviously, the keychain has been broken, though, uh, right? So there's there's some cracks out there. It's very, very difficult to... Uh, pull off the hacks though so the keychain is still the absolute best way to store creds um, you know unless for some reason some technical reason you can't actually utilize the keychain
0: Now, joe the you're IRS you're spe- says, you're specifically talking the those hacks against the android keychain correct
5: no no i was talking about the hacks against the ios key okay chain, all right just you know, just, been ma- broken
0: just making sure time ago. just making sure yeah
5: Yeah, ironically, guys, you know, when I looked at Ice Cream Sandwich uh, 4.0 for Android, you know, I had expected Google to make use of the keychain first and foremost, lead by example. So I expected to find Gmail creds and and other credentials and authorization tokens and things for their services and applications in the keychain, but it is empty So if you go look at the keychain on an ice cream sandwich uh, uh, device or even a jelly bean device, which I've I've actually looked at now, you'll find that they're not even using their own stuff. So, you know, one of the findings, one of the prevalent findings uh, on an Android device is the fact that email credentials, email messages, uh, you, you know, contacts, all of that stuff with regard to the people that you're emailing and receiving emails from is stored in clear text in an SQLite database. In a known physical location on an android device so you know these folks that have uh their android devices plugged into their corporate exchange systems you know a thief uh, or, or someone that's trying to do uh you know espionage or social engineering or trying to penetrate an organization if they were able to get their hands on a high-ranking official's android device uh they could very easily have network access uh with the identity of that individual depending on you know, what remote access was set up like, uh, the policies, the technologies that were used and so forth. I mean, typically your exchange creds are your AD or Active Directory creds, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. uh, those are stored in clear text, very, very simple to get. Um, If you're not using certificate-based off for your Wi-Fi networks, um, then uh, and you're using pre-shared keys, those are found in a comp file um, in a known physical location in clear text on the device. Uh, at the talk in Boston, um, you know, I actually showed screenshots where I had set up several, uh, PSK protected Wi-Fi networks. Every single one of them had all of the sensitive information stored in clear text in, uh, in a plain text file.
1: Nice. Yep. Um, so how easy is it to reconstruct someone's contacts and SMS messages with Android? Uh, it's pitifully easy,
5: um, <laughs> It's as simple as running strings against the uh, the SMS database, uh, which you know virtually everything is stored in SQLite databases or XML files on Android devices. And uh, you know one of the things that I that I talked about uh, in Boston when I saw you guys is is the fact that you know I've got a lot of really cool tools that I use uh, to implement this offensive forensics methodology. Uh, but Android is a really fun platform to work with because you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, we always say, in IT, and that's that's the way of, of things for technology. Uh, it extends to offensive forensics on an Android device as well. You would be shocked uh, how much information you can exfiltrate off of a device just using strings and outputting to files that you control or can gain access to. Um, you know, you run strings against an SQLite database, it's going to print out everything that's clear text in that database. SMS messages happen to be stored in those. So, you know, you can see the SMS messages just like uh, a chat pane uh, if you're using Adium or something like that.
1: Nice, nice. Um, let's see. So compared to, what's your general assessment as um, iOS compared to Android security-wise?
4: iOS, as long as the device
5: is not jailbroken, Um you know, it is virtually free from any sort of malware that's out there. There's a couple of strains of very, very uncommon malware um, supposedly being used by uh, state-sponsored governments, uh, military teams, cyber uh, hacking teams, and so forth uh, that can affect an iOS device. I've personally not seen a sample of this. Uh, I've read several things about it. Um, I feel that the information that's available for it it, it is wanting, uh, so I don't place too much uh, credence in that. Um, The the fact of the matter is the security model for iOS is excellent. And I would, uh, you know, organizations that are trying to determine if they want to allow Android or iOS from a BYOD perspective, or even if they want a corporate issue, the latest types of smartphones, you know, they should 100% of the time choose iOS over Android. Uh, because the security model is uh, much more stable and much more effective.
1: Um, now, what have you found with respects to the, the Windows Surface RT?
5: Well, I don't have a lot of findings on that yet. And, uh, and I talked a little bit uh, with Mike about this when we spoke on the phone. You know, I, I had uh, I had thought maybe one day if I had some free time, I might look at it. The, the only reason I even uh, bought a Surface is because the jailbreak came out for it. <laughs>
3: so,
5: uh, you know, liter- literally the day the jailbreak came out, I went to Amazon and bought a Surface immediately. <laughs> nice, nice. And uh, you know, the the guys over at XDA are absolutely amazing. Hats off to them. Uh, I've been, you know. Um, posting in the community and utilizing their software and 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 sponging up their brilliance for many many years you know back when i was uh hacking an at tilt when i worked at hp so um, hats off to them they're amazing uh the jailbreak is really cool uh unfortunately it's not as cool as i thought it was going to be so uh, essentially you can run unsigned apps on the platform uh, and, and just a few days ago, there was another tool released by another developer at XDA that will allow you to run x86 apps on the Surface, which is obviously an ARM-based device.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
5: and, and I saw a blog recently from Larry Seltzer where he was talking about why would you want to jailbreak? You know, it's, you can run unsigned apps, but who cares? All the apps you want to run are actually uh, WinTel apps. They're not. Uh, they're not. You know, intended for ARM-based processors. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, XDA, a few days ago, they came out with a, a tool where you can actually run x86 apps now. So we'll see about uh, you know what happens. Um, I, I personally don't have any findings yet. There is a shocking lack of applications available for, uh, for the Surface that are not Microsoft applications. Um, so it's still not terribly interesting to me, and uh, and I haven't done a lot of forensics work. Essentially, what I'm doing is just kind of poking around Windows RT at this point and uh, seeing what I can see. Um, it's a typical Windows installation, so uh, there's lots and lots of information that you can get access to. Uh, whether the mobile apps that run on Windows RT are going to be as terribly designed and written as most of the apps that we see for Android and iOS uh, remains to be seen. Um, But it it is the Windows platform. And if these guys are not getting uh, secure mobile application development right on a platform like iOS or a platform like Android, where tools abound to be able to foster secure application development, I have a feeling that the applications, the third-party apps on the surface are going to be pretty damn bad. (laughs)
1: Joey, what's your uh, lab and some of the techniques that you're using to find vulnerabilities in these various uh, mobile platforms look like?
5: So I I use almost, uh, excuse me, exclusively open source tools. um, And I've written a few scripts and tools myself. But, uh, you know, generally, all you really need is, I mean, mean, with Android, it's a little bit different, right? Because we have the debug bridge. So we can get in with ADB and do virtually everything that we want to do. And uh and there's a really nice front end for uh, ADB called QTADB that I showed at the uh, conference as well. And uh it's an amazing tool. It made analysis much more uh simple or much more efficient and quick. So anybody that wants to play around with offensive forensics on the Android platform, definitely, definitely go get uh, uh QTADB. Uh runs on uh, Ubuntu very, very well. So uh, I highly recommend that. Other than that, really um, you know, doing uh, so. Doing I'm sorry, Joey. Are, SQL,
1: are you sorry. are you debugging the the OS just based on downloading the firmware?
5: No, I will actually debug on the device itself. Okay. Uh, so there's lots and lots of diagnostic tools that Android makes available to you. I mean, you practically don't need a forensic toolkit at all. You can use uh, the onboard debuggers. Uh, you know, Logcat. Uh, there's probably a half dozen different debug facilities that you can actually utilize on Android. And depending on the way the applications you're reviewing are written, uh, you can find virtually everything just using the debug tools. I've found everything from SQL statements, uh, you know, that are betraying uh, column names, table names, database names, everything else, to uh, passwords in the clear, I've seen, uh, you know, secret notes from the developer that he thought was never going to be seen. <laughs> um, you, you know, really interesting um, uh, breadcrumbs and so forth that you can find using the debug
3: tools. Nice. Did you so enable? it?
5: it's 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 Wi-Fi. It's it's an SSH client. And uh, you know an SQL like client of some line, some type, either GUI based or or CLI, either way.
0: Nice, Paul. Did you enable developer mode on your uh, Nexus? No, my Nexus Seven. It's, I have It's it. easy. You go into the like the options menu and you enable developer mode, and you like have to t- tap it ten times. Yeah, and like you get to like seven taps and it says you're three taps away from being a developer.
4: It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Fact, I, I do have a question. Go ahead, Why girls. do you think that so many people in our security industry uh, prefer Android, especially among penetration testers, security professionals, uh, even though many actually do know that Android's not that secure to begin with.
5: It's it's all about the power of customization, brother, and being able to make it your way, or have it your way, rather. Um, you know, you have to jailbreak your iOS uh, device to be able to install a bunch of applications Um, you know, and and that can cause problems down the road. I mean, let's say, for example, every employer that I've worked at forbade uh, jailbroken devices. So my daily driver was never jailbroken. Uh, Only my research devices were jailbroken. Um, So so that's a big thing. Android is a completely different story. Uh, Ironically, I find that employers uh, in particular uh who obviously all of our security peers are are employed whether it's uh, for themselves or, or or with a firm um you know those guys don't really care about android that much even fishnet when uh when i was there and we decided we were going to open up android we had no particular policies for that and uh and and virtually all of the mdm and mam solutions that are out there they 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 just uh, they suck at at determining that a device is rooted it's really easy to circumvent their root detection uh, so you can have a rooted device and you can just own that device nine ways from Sunday and still have, uh, you know, the same level of corporate access that you do on an uncompromised
4: device. One of the things that I was recently surprised was I was going through the notes uh, for Jellybean 4.2 that Google released. And one of them says, oh, we improve our random number generator. And I was saying, oh, hmm, let me read on this. Uh, and I started doing a couple of Google searches because I couldn't find the details on it. And the information was that secure.random or secure random, the library, when you you use the method.next to get the a random integer, had had a problem always of uh, always returning the same number <laughs> instead of returning to you a random one. And they fixed it in 4.2. So, in other words, mm-hmm. they, they they finally implemented a random number generator. <laughs> yeah, and, and and then I was talking with a friend of mine today that actually does Android development, and he says, no, I encrypt everything for my uh, customer on the device. And I told him, do you use secure.random? Uh, is dot securerandom.next uh, to generate an integer for your keys and everything? Yeah, I'm even using AES. I'm using the samples from Google. And I'm going like, you know that most of your customers are using anything below... Uh, 4.2, in other words, they're not they're not running Nexus. They're vulnerable because they're always putting out the same number. So yeah, in so other the words, same, there's the same no entropy. The entropy is used every single time. And he was going like, oh, I don't care. Uh, the person ha- needs to get access to the device. And uh, I actually told him, dude, I have an iPhone 5, fully patched. And while I was at the gym training, somebody decided... From our industry to play a joke, and they, they sent me a DM with a link, which I clicked automatically, it uploaded a photograph into my uh camera, uh n- not into uh, n- not into my camera, into my uh photo roll uh, of a guy with a uh, with a Guy Fox Max taking a picture of somebody else as wow. a joke. So in other words, they hacked through WebKit. My Twitter client, and actually, since uh, I I later on found out that due to the sandbox, the only thing they could actually do was upload a photo to uh, my camera roll, and the other thing was probably add a contact. Other than that, they couldn't do anything else. So they decided to play a joke on me. And my, my My picture would have been way more interesting than that.
5: Yeah, that's unfortunately a weakness in the model. I mean, we've known that for some time. Uh, Nicholas Serio exposed that in January 2010, if I remember right, that there's, uh, you know, your address book, uh, the camera roll. There's several things that virtually any application has access to um, without permission. Contacts is obviously different now. We're seeing prompts for access to your contacts, but uh, that did not used to be the case.
1: Uh, a question from the chat from Aiden came in and says, uh, did anyone talk about SPF for exploiting iOS and Android? Does
5: anyone talk about
1: it? Yeah. Has anyone talked about it uh, yet? He wanted to ask about SPF for exploiting iOS on Android. Um,
5: yeah, I'm sure somebody's playing with it. I mean, certainly. So what is uh, um, what is SPF no, the, in the, this the context? Community is.
1: Uh, I haven't personally played with it. I'm sorry, Joey. What is SPF in this context? uh
2: spf is uh secure file protocol is that what he's
5: talking
3: about
4: is it spf i think it's the uh the 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 kid from georgia wainsman the uh for hacking smartphones uh interesting no i haven't uh
0: Center policy Cender framework. Policy
1: framework. Hold oh, no, on, we're gonna. Oh,
0: smartphone pen test framework. Yes. Yeah, so Georgia's project. I gotcha. Yep. Oh, okay. And, and
5: it runs on iOS
0: or Android. Uh, uh, it runs on Linux to attack those devices.
5: To attack those. It's devices. it's like metas-
0: ah. It's like Metasploit. From my understanding, I could be completely butchering this. It's like Metasploit for smartphones.
5: Okay. No, I haven't actually played with it. Uh Does, is does that, what she, is oh, that what she is that what she talked I,
1: about I at Shmoocon? playing with it? Is it affected? I don't know. She talked about it at Shmoocon, but she took her shirt off and everyone got distracted, so no one knows <laughs> what uh... <laughs> I think it's really what happened. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Well, no wonder everybody's talking
1: about
0: the framework. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But no one knows exactly what it does. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, I. Well,
5: I'll tell you what, guys. I'm I'm going to do something for you. I will check that out, and I'm also going to go see if I can uh, pilfer some some apps on Windows RT, and I'll shoot you guys an email with my findings. Okay.
0: Awesome. Sweet. Now, even better, we'll have to have you come back and talk about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that'd be super. I'd love to. So um, one of the probably the most intriguing things for me, Joey, about smartphone security was Is the complete lack of it. Well, when, <laughs> when, actually, when Josh Wright came on the show, he said, you know, have you ever been running Pandora and you got a free account with Pandora and you get tired of hearing all those advertisements and you kind of do some reverse engineering of Pandora? And you can make those <laughs> advertisements go away. Yes. Um,
0: and how, you can get more skips.
1: Yeah. So, uh, or, or just get as many skips as you, mm-hmm. as you want mm-hmm. uh, without paying for it. So how tightly controlled is application security? And, and is there anyone you know, really taking advantage of this for, for profit?
5: Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, uh, you know, look at uh, David Campbell's work with the Wall Street Journal, Um, you know, and you see one of these reports come out every three to six months now where people are talking about the applications that are, you know, stealing our personal lives and invading our privacy and uploading that data to uh, ad companies and marketing companies.
3: Mm -hmm.
5: Um, You know, when you guys dig in and roll your sleeves up and start looking at mobile applications using the techniques that I've outlined with my methodology – you're going to find that there's tracking cookies, multiple tracking cookies sometimes, in every single application that you have on your device. Mm-hmm. Every single one. Uh, and the ads are a major, major issue. The ads are a major vulnerability for these applications because the ad networks, uh, they're, they're typically opening a secondary stream. There's lots of vulnerabilities that they have, not just in their server infrastructure in the cloud, uh, but in the ad libraries themselves that are on these devices, they're being included with the mobile applications. Um, it, it's, a, it's a jungle out there. And, and what I recommend is, you know, anybody that wants to do their own research like this, it's really simple to set up a lab to do it. Um, go to the Intrepidist Group uh, blog, download a, a tool called Mallory.
3: Mm-hmm, Get yourself yeah. a
5: netbook. They've got instructions in there on how to multi-home a netbook. Set it up with uh, fake, uh, fake host APD. So you can, so you can uh, run a wireless network on the netbook. You can capture every bit of network traffic, TCP and UDP, and even modify it on the fly. And you will be absolutely shocked at the uh, personal data leakage that's occurring from the applications that you're using.
1: Um, one of the other uh, attacks that I read about recently is called the frosty attack on Android devices. This is where they steal your Android phone They freeze the phone down to like minus five degrees Fahrenheit. And then that lets them read from memory and steal your password. Have you read about this attack? I haven't, but you don't even
5: need to do that. Uh, Depending on the application. (laughs) Well, you know, this, this attack where you have to freeze
1: it, Joey, I thought it was a pretty cool attack.
2: No, (laughs) (laughs) get it. Get it. It's
0: cool. Get it. Dude, you farted again. That's not cool. it it
2: is a cool attack, but uh,
5: there's a a really, really simple technique to dump RAM off a running Android device, and uh, you'll very, very commonly find some interesting (laughs) stuff in there. Creds, um, (laughs) you know, even Dropbox, they used to use the network buffer on Android devices to buffer credentials uh, until they got found out. Somebody actually dumped the RAM and found credentials in there and and outed them for it. Um, But it's trivial to dump the RAM off an Android device.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Dude, you're not supposed to punish me. You're supposed to punish our, our, our AV guy. I know. I know. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> sorry. I had, he's like, I oh, had bacon no.
0: sausage, onion
1: pizza for lunch. Um, <laughs> and for dinner. So, um, well, Joey, was there anything else that you've been working on? or Are there any other questions from anyone else, uh, here in the crew? We've got about five minutes to round out, uh, this week's paul.com. Um, so Larry, I don't know if you want to throw in one of your stories or if you want to have another question
4: for Joey. Um, I'm good. Carlos? No, uh, he Yay. has completely, I, I have been thinking of buying an Android device just for playing with uh, yes, playing with it, but you should. Uh, he just convinced me not to do it.
0: I love my <laughs> Nexus. Oh, no, no, get one to, to play with. It's lots of fun and then yeah. use it to break into. I love my Nexus 7 tablet. I think it's make awesome.
2: sure you uh,
5: definitely get a Samsung device, uh, and and go out and uh, obviously make sure that uh, that the guys at XDA are supporting that device. But Samsung devices I use almost exclusively for my Android research because it is nearly impossible to brick them.
4: Nice, nice. Yeah. Mm. If, if if you had to choose a ROM. For an Android device, would you recommend the person to stick with the vendor's ROM or just go to into the XDA uh, forums and say implement CyanogenMod?
5: Yeah, you got to get away from the vendor's ROM, from the manufacturer's ROM as soon as you can. They're crap. Uh, they're not maintained. They're not updated. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I use the example when I was at Fishnet, I was using Samsung Captivate's exclusively for uh, my Android research. The, the Captivate came with one. Uh, there was an immediate update to 2.2, but they didn't get Gingerbread for a full year after Gingerbread had been out, and that's because it doesn't behoove manufacturers to go back and and uh, you know support the newer firmwares that are coming out. They'd rather people bought new devices. So you know definitely get out there, put a Cyanogen on there or, or one of those guys. I really like CM. Uh, CM7 is what I'm still running on my stuff because it's just gloriously stable. Uh, but there's a bunch of great ROMs out there. I highly recommend
1: it.
4: Nice. Okay. Now I know so, a, so uh, a Samsung GS3 now.
1: So, Joey, for your, your smartphone of choice that you keep your email and stuff on and use on a daily basis, is it a Windows phone? Is it Android or is it iOS? Uh,
5: I will never use a Windows phone again.
1: It is an <laughs> iPhone 4S. Gotcha. Gotcha. Excellent. Joey, thank you very much for appearing on Paul.com. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. It was uh, it was very fun. Excellent. Thanks, Joey. Um, Take care. With that, uh,
0: you know what? If we've wanna, got if we've got half a second, there was one story minutes. that I, we've uh, got three minutes. I, I, I did want to hit one one hit story, it, uh, and we can do two of them actually, really quick. The, did you guys do the zombies thing about the EAS, the emergency yes, uh, stuff? We talked about that last week, um, the, which is good. But did you find the sort of the the follow up on that? In that the device in question was using default, default passwords. passwords. Did you, you did you hear that IOActive reported something very similar and some exploits to the manufacturer not three weeks prior? Oh
3: <laughs>
1: talk about it and I told you so. Moment.
0: Yep. Awesome. Yeah. So okay. So that was it. Uh the other one was the bad advice at bounds, and you've got this one too. Yeah. Firefox nineteen. Which yeah. I updated to this week. Yep. Yep. But now uh, the register is claiming, um, rid yourself of Adobe. Firefox 19 gets a JavaScript PDF viewer. And, and so it has vulnerability it, already? It, no, oh, that's what I was waiting that's for. That's what we're waiting for. But So everybody says get rid of Adobe and go to that third-party PDF viewer, but those PD, third-party PDF viewers are just as vulnerable as Adobe is. They're just not nearly as large as an attack surface. Like, yeah. we used to say, go to Foxit, and then Foxit had vulnerabilities. Yeah. Well, it's I like, said, you know. No, it, go, to Fi- go to Firefox. Everyone loves Firefox.
1: Well, so this comes down to who you trust. Do you trust the browser, or do you trust Adobe?
0: Well, more I- importantly, do you trust JavaScript in your browser? Yeah. As I let the laughter
1: settle, I think it's scary either way. I do want to see more security put into the browser, but that shifts the trust pendulum mm. over to the developers of the browser for yet even more stuff right. than we already trust them for. Um, so I guess it's, you know, there's a lot going inside the browser. So can we groom browser developers to write more code than Adobe or Oracle? Again, I'll let the laughter settle. There's a monkey. No,
0: no, no, no. It's also next to the toilet paper roll. So someone's uh, Google plusing us from the can. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, so I, I even get disturbed that the, that in fact, that uh, it's in JavaScript, it's in JavaScript in the browser. In JavaScript. No, nothing will go wrong here. Oh, that's totally. totally. All right. What do you say?
1: We wrap up the show. And we're back
0: just to say goodbye. Cord. Discount code is... ImpactBSG. Wait, is that, is that the monkey towel? No. Yeah, it is. Monkey towel. Monkey towel. Monkey towels. Monkey towels. Thanks, everyone, for
1: listening. Thanks to our special guest, Adrian and Joey. Shower curtain. Uh, Linux <laughs> Penguin shower curtain, which is awesome. I love Linux Penguin shower curtains. Yep. Pinch and loaf. Larry, All take the... us out. Over and...